This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. A Las Vegas child, Mason Dominguez, was found dead last week after his sister handed a note to her teacher pleading for help. The note was written by the victim's mother, who said that her boyfriend had been imprisoning her in her home and that she had not seen her son since December. Las Vegas authorities have arrested 35-year-old Brandon Toslin and charged him with two counts of first-degree kidnapping and an open murder charge. Hey everybody and welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. This is Katie Weaver and I'm here with my sister, co-host and partner in crime, Christy Brower. Hello. Hello. Hey everybody. Happy Monday. Yes. Happy Monday. How is it going? It is good. I'm kind of hoarse, so Mm. I'm going to be on the smokier side today. But (laughs) other than that, good. (laughs) We'll, We'll take it, you know. We call yes, that the porn star voice. Yeah. 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 I've got a little of that today, but that's all right. Yeah. We don't hate the gravel. Well, mm-hmm. good. Well, all is well here too. Sun's shining. It's a gorgeous, gorgeous day. So right. cannot complain. These beautiful blue skies in like 20 yeah. degrees. Yeah. Like I just want to go outside. So can I just be outside? No. No, I cannot. It's too fucking cold. Not really. No. You can be in the car though and, you know. You take can. on those rays, but yeah, it's pretty cold. True. But boy, that sun is uh, promising and feels amazing. Yes, it does. Yeah, we had a great weekend. Just you know, doing and doing. Last mm-hmm. night we uh, <laughs> we get together every Sunday night uh, as a family to have dinner and play cards, and we had a pretty wild uh, scum battle last night. <laughs> if you guys have never played scum, why have you never played scum? <laughs> Do yourselves a favor. It's definitely worth it. <laughs> it's one of the funnest games. Yeah. Anyway, it was pretty rowdy. It was like one of the rowdier scum games we've had in a while. It was. Yeah. Yeah. We even, somebody even got pissed and threw the cards and left. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> scum will do that to you. We it will. We have some kids in our family that are what you might call rage quitters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think I need to make him a t-shirt that says, sorry for what I said when we were playing scum. Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Or skip bow. He needs some bow. Or skip bow, yeah. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. oh, at any rate, it was pretty good stuff. But it's Monday. We have a whole uh, episode ready for you here. And then, of course, we'll be back tomorrow with another brand new episode. We will be back Wednesday with a brand new episode. We'll be back Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Mountain for case updates. And then again on Thursday night at 7 p.m. Mountain for the Psychic Hour. And it'll be marching orders this week since it'll be the first show of the month. So we have a lot going on this week. And also there's two new Patreons. Yes, there are. Go check them out. Yep. If you haven't seen them yet, they're both 
really interesting cases that, uh, you know, you'll love the ones that we save, especially for the patrons. So yeah, we do. We do save some special cases just for Patreon. And so occasionally people ask us for a case and we're like, oh, it's in Patreon. Let's mm -hmm. go join over there and you'll be able to watch it. Sometimes if it's too hardcore for like the YouTube crowd, well, YouTube themselves. Yes. Uh <laughs> As in YouTube themselves. Or if it's, uh, you know, sometimes it's just a case that, uh, yeah, that you guys will get as patrons that are really hardcore true crimers. So mm -hmm. anyway, we probably better open it up. So Christy, I'm going to turn the mic over to you for WTF News. Heard of the sleepwalking killer? No. Well, let me tell you about him. This is Kenneth Parks. Let me show you a picture. This is Kenneth, back at the time that this happened. Kenneth, it turns out, has a very rare sleep disorder. So on May 23rd of 1987, got out of bed in the middle of the night, drove 14 miles to his in-law's house, and then he took a tire iron from his car and beat his mother-in-law to death and tried to strangle his father-in-law. Oh, my God. Yeah. He then went to the nearest police station and told them that he thought he'd killed someone. Oh, good he woke Lord. woke up bloody in his car. Mm -hmm. Didn't know, you know. Um, you know, we've heard cases like this before of... Mm -hmm using this actual ex excuse i i didn't i wasn't awake i didn't remember yeah but after investigating him going through his story over and over and over again which never changed mm -hmm. and a bunch of psychological and medical tests they discovered that he did have an a very severe episode of parasomnia he was wow. really, really stressed out about money at the time. And this seemed to be the trigger for this parasomnia event. Mm -hmm. He was, um, although originally investigated mm -hmm. and arrested, he was eventually sure. released. Wow. And not charged with either crime because it was found to have happened due to a medical condition that he literally did not have any conscious awareness of driving 14 miles. Can you imagine? That's plus, scary. Yeah. Plus going into his in-laws house. Holy yeah. shit. That's He's horrifying. actually uh, a free man and functioning in society. They said the, the, the people that evaluated him said that he was under such severe stress when this happened, it was unlikely to happen again. And of course, well, I, uh, unlikely, but still, right. yeah, I, I believe he's monitored and takes medication and some stuff like that now, but I would imagine. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. He was entirely um, exonerated of that crime because of parasomnia. Isn't that crazy? Did he stay married? I don't think so, but I'm not a hundred percent sure. What, from what I could tell, no. Um, I mean, on but purpose or not, uh, you still killed your mother married to that person. Yeah. Right. 
Oh, man. That is really scary. Isn't that scary? Yeah. And it's sad for him. I mean, I don't want to downplay that either. That's horrifying for him. Yeah. That he would commit a crime like that without uh, having control. Right. But, I mean, it happened. The person is still dead. The other person was still injured. Like, holy cow. Yeah. Wow. So I thought that was definitely what you would call a WTF crime. Uh Uh-huh. A hundred percent. We could put that in several categories, really. Yeah, we really could. He was not from Florida, but he could have been easily. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. That could have been a Florida case. (laughs) It really could have. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to send the mic back over to you for our main case. Absolutely. So many of you have sent us this case here in the last week, so we're covering it. Yeah. And this is the murder of Mason Dominguez. So last week, a seven-year-old child got to school and handed her teacher or or had in her backpack and showed her teacher uh, a handful of post-it notes. And the post-it notes were pleas from this child's mother saying that she had been being held uh, hostage or kidnapped being held captive by her boyfriend and that she had not seen her toddler son since December and feared that he was deceased. Mm. And the teacher, you know, wisely immediately turned it over to authorities and they went straight to their house and they were just leaving the house. And what they discovered was, um, of course the mom and also the boyfriend, the boyfriend's name is uh, Brandon Tosind. And in the car was a handcuff that was attached to the seat that apparently he'd been using when they went places to keep her in the car, keep her subdued. Mm. Brandon Tosland is his name. Uh, so, of course, they uh, take them into custody and they search the house. And they discover a couple of very troubling things. They find in the backyard a grave that's been dug. Mm. Just right there next to the trampoline. Just a grave. But worse, in the garage, in the freezer, they find the remains of little Mason. Oh my God, isn't he darling? Darling. Four years old. Absolutely precious. So the story goes, it's, it's a winding tale. And I'm going to tell you because uh, I, I'm sure that uh, there are families that are keeping an eye on stories such as ours. And so I want to acknowledge both sides of this a little. There is a very hard situation with Mason's dad's family, Mason and his sister's dad's family. Dad's name uh, is Elijah, and he died about a year ago. Mm. He had pneumonia. He got better. He came home, uh, immediately flared back up, went into the hospital and never came out, according to a family friend that I spoke with. Mm -hmm. Uh, Somehow during that time, the relationship between Elijah's family and Daisha, the mom of this this story, had broken down to the point that she uh, would not allow them to attend his funeral, uh, would not allow them to see the kids. Things had gotten really rough. In the midst of that, she was dating this guy named Brandon Tosland. 
Brandon has two children with and was in a long-term relation or relationship with Eli's sister, Elijah's sister. So there's a very complicated family situation here. Yeah. There's a lot of hurt and anger on dad's family's side. And so they haven't seen the kids this whole last year. Now, what we are learning from Daisha's attorney is that quite some time ago, like many months ago, Brandon took control of Daisha's phone and her social media. And he used her phone to quit her job in her name. He used her phone to cut her family completely off in her name. And of course, Mm. uh, cut Eli's family completely off, which had kind of, I think already happened. But at any rate, there's some really, really hard feelings here. And I want to acknowledge that because I know that, uh, you know, that, that, that's a part of the story without a doubt. For sure. So according to Daisha's attorney, many months ago, this crazy uh, controlling stuff happened. Two months or so after Elijah died, Daisha and the kids moved in with Brandon. And he started, you know, they, they started living as a family. And she says it wasn't very long after that, that he started getting really scary and controlling. And again, you know, took control of, uh, well, her life. And was had set the house up like a bit of a fortress with uh, cameras and motion detectors and locks and would oh, keep boy. her and the kids uh, separated from each other for the most mm-hmm. part. Though it does appear that the seven-year-old was still going to school every day, the story is a little odd. I'm going to give you that. And and Mm -hmm. there might be much more to this story than we know yet. I want to acknowledge that too. Sure. But uh, this is what her attorney is saying at this point. Um, He says that there were many, uh, most of the time when they were home, the kids were locked in one room and she was locked in another. He wasn't allowing her access to her children. And when they would go places, and they actually did, according to their neighbors, they were in the car going constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, She was handcuffed into the car so that she couldn't flee. Sure, that'd be another way to control her, Mm -hmm. to constantly be going places so that he didn't leave Mm -hmm. her alone. Yeah. So in December, around December 11th, uh, the baby got sick. Mason got sick. And Brandon barricaded him into the master bedroom. And wouldn't allow her to see him. And she started demanding to see her son. And he told her, I can't let you see her because that would jeopardize my freedom. Oh, shit. And she never saw him again. (sighs) The hard part is that on social media, there were pictures of their Christmas tree, of their stockings, all four of them. uh, You know, look looking like a normal family, looking like everything was the way it was, you know, supposed to be. Right. On Valentine's Day, she posted, you know, air quotes, Mm -hmm. uh, pictures of two big, like, bouquets and balloons and stuff that, that, uh, you know, Brandon had supposedly given her, celebrating their love. And, like, it's just, uh, if if her story holds, and I'm not saying it's not going to, you know, but uh, if her story holds, this is some seriously messed up stuff. Yeah. That he was. Next level mm-hmm. domestic violence. Wow. Yeah. Uh, she, of course, uh, you know, she is, has stated that she has been 
seriously physically and socially abused for many months now as a captive prisoner in this home. So sometime uh, here in February, she started trying to work out a plan to get some outside help. So what she did is she started sneaking post-it notes. There was a pad of post-it notes in the car. And so she was like getting a hold of like one post-it note at a time and holding on to it. And he made a mistake last week and she let her sleep next to her daughter for the first time in many, many months. And so she would coach her daughter quietly in her ear that I'm going to, I'm putting some, these notes in your backpack. And when you get to school, you need to give them right to your teacher, make sure she sees them right away and don't let Brandon see them. And, you know, we don't know exactly what she said, but it was along those lines of coaching her daughter what to do Mm -hmm. and managed to get this handful of notes that she'd been writing and holding on to. There was like eight or nine of them into the backpack. And then of course, it was successful. The teacher found them, was obviously, you know, did the right thing, thank God, and help was on the way. So, of course, Brandon was taken into custody. He was initially charged with two counts of kidnapping, and then they added a charge of open murder, which I'm assuming that means that that could go, you know, any way they need it to if they want to turn that yeah. whatever, you know, degree of murder just... they're planning on charging. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And of course, they, you know, as we know, they found Mason and they found the hole in the backyard. We don't know what else they found in the house that hasn't really been released yet. And that's okay. Uh, I mean, but, if there's cameras and surveillance and stuff inside the house, if they've got a hold of that stuff, I mean, that's. They didn't that's say that. That's one thing that's kind of troubling Elijah's family is that the police never said that. They said they found the hole and they said that they found the body, but they never said they found all of this surveillance and you know, fortress-like well, conditions in the house. Not. Exactly. They might not. They're they're investigating a crime. I mean, they hold back. Absolutely. Absolutely. So immediately now, uh, Brandon's been arraigned and his attorney is asking for uh, an, uh, a wellness uh, investigation into his mental health because, of course, that's the first place they're going to go, you know, is... is and he's just, you know, he's not a bad guy. You know, he's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. No. He killed a four-year-old and put him in the freezer, bro. Right. No. No. Not going to fly. You imprison people who, yeah, it's not going to fly. But, of course, that's always the first place they go. Right. So he's actually due back in court today, but he hasn't been back to yet. So, you know, every time they go back to court, we learn a little more. You mm-hmm. know, there's always a few more details that trickle out. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. And, of course, we will uh, make sure that we keep reporting on this story. And But that's what we know so far. So there was a GoFundMe. There's been some big GoFundMe confusion because uh, Elijah's family opened a GoFundMe hoping to purchase the plot next to him and purchase a headstone to bury uh, Mason there. But that oh. isn't necessarily what... Uh, the mom has got in mind. And so there's two GoFundMes mm-hmm. or there has been, there's some confusion there uh, about, you know, where that money's going to go or what's going to happen here. Of right. course, uh, Deja has not been charged with any crimes and 
she is the mother of this child. And so all decision-making will go to her. Right. Uh, but anyway, so, but I, I am going to throw that out there because there have been some big GoFundMe, uh, you know, two GoFundMes with the big bold letters at the top that say, this is the only official GoFundMe for Mason Dominguez. Uh, and that's why. <laughs> Dear. Uh, I, I hate when that kind of stuff happens and it creates ugliness with people. Because the, the, there's a tragedy here, and the tragedy is the loss of that child. But the other tragedy is the abuse of mom and the abuse of the daughter. Yeah. I mean, we've got to be real careful here, you know. Yes. There's well, the kidnapping. The they're kidnap victims, you know. Yeah. Just considering what this little girl has gone through all these months just horrifies me. Right. She's probably lucky, really lucky to be alive at this point. I would imagine so. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm. absolutely so it, it's a it's a difficult it's a very uh it's hard situation because there's so many hearts that are hurting and you know that really sometimes creates well this kind of a scenario so my hope is that there can be some healing between these families so that they can just uh focus on mason at this point and and the daughter and taking care of her and her needs because uh there's something really terrible has happened and yes yeah. Where the focus needs to go. It's just really, sure. really sad. Yeah. But thank God she was able to get those notes, uh, the post-it notes and, and write that's on a, them. And That's very smart. Very mm -hmm. smart. Mm -hmm. And thank God her little girl was brave enough to go to school and hand them over to her teacher like she was yeah. instructed to. Right. And thank God her teacher recognized the gravity of this and got law enforcement immediately involved. Yes. Uh, it could have gone the other way, you know, luckily it, it, it could have. Not. People get afraid to get involved and, you or know, they the don't believe is, it or they, whatever, you know, but right. she didn't do that. She did the right thing immediately. Cause the thing is you should always err on the side of caution and, re and report. If you're not sure report, mm -hmm. the police are not going to be mad at you no. for Saying, hey, I don't know what this means, but it's kind of unnerving. Will you look into this? Mm -hmm. You don't have to know for sure. But if you question if someone is being hurt or held captive or something, you should always report. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But she may not have seen the notes or, you know, she might have thought they were a prank or God, who knows? You know, you never know right. what goes on in people's heads. But anyway, so thank goodness it all worked out and now of course Dacia and her daughter are safe and poor Mason. Yeah. What that is really, really unfortunate. It is. It's just a horrible crime. So of course this will go on our uh, docket of uh, cases that we're keeping an eye on and we'll continue to report on how this uh, rolls out in the future and what goes on with Brandon. He'll be in court today. So we'll keep an eye on it yeah. and report on that on Wednesday on case updates. So yeah. Christy, I'm going to go ahead and turn the mic back over to you for yes. some creepy crime. Yeah. So I called this creepy crime because I wasn't really sure what to call it, but there's definitely some creepy elements. This is regarding a cold case. Uh, it's 21 years old, which is crazy. It happened in 2001, and that makes it 21 years old. <laughs> we're getting I don't old. Know. If we're that's really crazy. Getting old. Yeah, yeah, getting old. Right. So on February 27th, 2001, so it was exactly, you know, a year ago, mm -hmm. 
uh, right around just shortly before 10 p.m., Rachel Anthony was finishing her shift at Ultimate Liquors. So she was supposed to be closing the store. So she went out and she started her car because it was cold that night. And then went back in, you know, to finish like closing the up the car, the store. Yeah. Well, police found her car idling at one o'clock in the morning that oh. next morning at the back of the store. The back door of the store was open. And her, Rachel's coat and purse were still inside the store. Oh, no. Yeah. So she just vanished. I mean, really, for the car to be running. And I mean, that's scary. Mm -hmm. So scary. So she vanished. Her body was found six weeks later on the side of the road, about Mm -hmm. 15 miles away from where she had disappeared. And her autopsy showed that she had died of strangulation. Oh, boy. Well, there's some new evidence. and I don't know exactly why this is new evidence 21 years later or why they know this now and they didn't know it before mm-hmm. or if this just didn't get any attention before. But there is some new information in this case. And so I wanted to bring it here and then I think we'll cover it um, more in more in depth later because there's some stuff coming, I think. Yeah. So. They now know that the last transaction in the store was at 9.57 p.m. So the store was supposed to close at 10. So definitely last customer. Mm -hmm. Um, And last customer, however they figured that out in their system or whatever. They purchased a bottle of Mickey's malt liquor and cool cigarettes. And apparently that information had not ever been revealed to the public before. Ah. Now that's interesting because... That could lead them to a person of interest, right? This person Mm -hmm. is the last person that was in the store. Also, you know, if you're a regular at a liquor store who buys the same alcohol and the same cigarettes every time, Mm -hmm. could be that this might uh, lead them to a suspect. Sure. So they're hoping that that information will jog somebody's memory. And there is a $50,000 reward on this case. So she, you know, hopefully we can find where she went, you know, something. I mean, there's literally been nothing, nothing in this Mm. case for all this time. They have no idea. So sad. Yeah, this is her, huh? Yeah, that's Rachel. And, you know, she was just doing her job, closing up, warming up her car for the night. Oh, boy. Obviously a snake enthusiast. (laughs) Right? I was thinking that. It's the snake she's holding. Wow. It is, yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, I just thought it was interesting. I find it so creepy. Your car's running. All of her stuff is there. She's just vanished. Just vanished. And this this is in Minnesota. Mm -hmm. And so, police in Minnesota, they're hoping... That this will spur somebody. So this happened in Pine River. Pine River, Minnesota. And on February 27th of 2001. And then she was found near Breezy Point, Minnesota. So, you know, maybe somebody who knows somebody who 
drank that kind of, you know, Mickey's malt liquor and smoked cool cigarettes, mm -hmm. that might jog somebody's memory. So yeah. I wanted to share that. And then we're going to keep an eye on this case because this new information may actually lead to something. They've never had a person of interest. They've never had anything. Wow. So this has been as cold as cold can be. How they know this now, though, I have not figured out. Why didn't they know it then? Like, why did their till system? I don't know. I'm guessing they did know it then. It's just finally rolling out now. Maybe, you know, it seems like there's a cold case unit that's picked this case up. And this mm -hmm. is something that wasn't released to the police. But mm -hmm. it seems important because if you're a regular at a liquor store, lots right. of regulars at liquor stores, they buy the same thing over and over again. Mm -hmm. I hope this information went to her coworkers. The that was my thought. Really, it's people she works with that might be able to put two and two together. Right? So, or the thought of who stopped coming in there after that. Yeah. What you know? regular customer disappeared? Because somebody knew. Well, I don't know. I mean, the back door was open. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. The whole thing's scary. She was obviously abducted from the liquor store and then yeah. strangled and, you know, left on the side of the road, unfortunately. But mm -hmm. I just feel like, you know, um, Rachel Anthony's case deserves another look. So Yes, it does. There it seems, you go. It certainly seems solvable. It, it does. It really does. So yeah. hopefully with today's technology, they're going to find the answer to who killed Rachel Anthony. I, for her family's sake, I certainly hope that's the case. Oh, me too. Me too. Well, that is Monday, guys. That's our first episode for the week. Again, we'll be back Tuesday and Wednesday with uh, episodes. Then we'll be back Wednesday night and Thursday night for case updates and then the psychic hours. So we have still so much more to come. If you're a patron, heads up. There's two new Patreons posted for you. Yes, if you're not a patron, head over to I mean, why Patreon. Not? Right. Head over to Patreon. Go to True Crime Paranormal. And join. That's a way to get a lot of extra content from us. Yes, so, it is. That's what's up. All righty, you guys. This has been yet another episode of True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. Take care. Thanks, everybody.